Thanks for having me, everyone. Um, so I know that you've been in 1 John since the middle of June. It's kind of a long time, right? But you should know some stuff, therefore, right? So um, this is something I like to do. I like to find out what's been going on. And so one of the first things um, I want us to have a look at, actually think about, is I want you to talk with your neighbor. And I want you to think about two questions for two minutes. Okay, that's going to be challenging for some of you. And just as a sidebar, if you're new and this is really awkward, don't worry about it. Just like step out or lean in or don't say anything, okay? But for those of you who've been here, you should know some stuff. Um, so here's the first question. What have you heard during this series that can be distilled into one word or one sentence? Now, it could be a number of things. So you could come up with a few, and then if you hear somebody else shout them out, then that's fine. And then here's the second question. If you could give this series a title other than the one it's already got, so far, what would it be? So two minutes, discuss with your neighbor those two questions, and then we're going to share a little bit. I want to know what's been, what's been going on. All right, you've got about 30 seconds. One and a half minutes goes pretty quick, so you should be on number two. Stop, if you can. Now, if you're brave and bold enough, I want to hear some of the things that you've heard during this series since the middle of June. That's seven preaching things you've heard. So don't be shy now. Just share some things. Come on. Hopefully not in the same... What else? If you all came up with the same thing, that's totally fine. Okay. Mm. Yep. What else?
What else? Back to Gnosticism, Edwin. Yeah, good, okay. That's a big theme. What else? Good. That's good, moving on from Gnosticism. Good, good. Very good. Okay. This one might have been a bit hard to do in like 30 seconds, but if you could give this series a title that doesn't have Gnosticism in it, no, it's okay. If it has Gnosticism, it's okay. <laughs> what would it be? Do you have one? Nice. Anything else? Be in the light. Anyone else? <laughs> okay, it's good. It's very good. Um, so I came up with slightly different things, but then I haven't been here, right? So, um, you know, just the juxtaposition of lots of things, darkness and light, hate and love, like that was just really interesting to me. Christ, the Antichrist, faith, hope, love, like these things. And um, I was thinking about it, man, what do I, we, we could, two ways to live, two roads to choose, because a lot of it is about where we go, isn't it? Life and death. What, how do we choose? What do we live? Because our actions match our words, or they should. Who do we really belong to? Who is Lord of our life? I think that's the real impetus of the text of 1 John. So before we get going, moving on, that's really helpful for me, because I didn't want to kind of repeat the same things. I was going to like exne a bunch of stuff, but now I'm not going to do that. Um, but before uh, we go much further, I just want us to read the text together. So you can open it in your Bibles if you want, or you can look at it on the screen in the very small print that it is, because I wanted to get it on one slide. And I'm going to read it from here. This is from the New International Version. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit, 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that the Son, that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Do, do, do. Love, love, love. It's easy. Do, 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 do. All you need is love. Do, 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 do. All you need is love. Do, 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 do. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. I bet you didn't expect me to break out and singing, did you? But this is a song, as many of us know, because we all knew the, the words, was written by John Lennon and the Beatles. And just as a sidebar, I'm from Liverpool. And my parents used to go and watch the Beatles play in the cavern in Liverpool. So, of course, I'm drawn to this song, and I used to hear it growing up when I was a kid. We can't miss what John Lennon is writing about. Love. Universal love. Essential love. But what kind of love is it, I wonder? Actually, if you read any of the interviews around his kind of the reason he wrote this, and I'm sure some of you have who are music buffs, there are a couple of significant influences. The first one's kind of, it's typical John Lennon. He says one of the reasons he wrote it is that he was really loved slogans. And he said he loved the telly. I love the telly, the TV. And the slogans, how slogans in particular affected the masses and were trying to capture the essence of the songs like We Shall Overcome that he had heard sung. But the line, all you need is love, was also a popular saying in the 60s anti-war movement. And if you look at the verses, the stanzas, there is something that he's saying about love in both its simplicity and complexity that echoes the truth of the human soul. So is the love that John Lennon is writing about the same love as we see in our text in 1 John? The love here in the text that is repeated over and over Love, love, love. Lest we should forget what's important is this agape love, right? Now, we've probably heard this described as unconditional love. It's the highest form of love. But at its very root, it's preferential love. It prefers the other. It's costly love. It's sacrificial love. I doubt that John Lennon had agape love in mind when he was writing this song. Although he did grow up Catholic, so there's... There's elements of that in there. But you sense the spirit was at work in a way that John Lennon wouldn't necessarily have realized or understood. His song is the very opposite of hate that gets expressed in our world time and time again. And we've seen that in Charlottesville. And it's been in existence since the time of Cain and Abel. Hate must not triumph. Hate must not have the last word. It's been 50 years since this song was written, and it still resonates with us because it speaks of an essential truth and an orientation in life. Okay, one thing that is in contrast to how John Lennon thinks love can triumph, agape love, is that it's not easy. <laughs> it's easy. No, it's not. It's not easy. It's not easy to love in this agape love way. It's costly. It's cost God everything, even his son. And right from the first verse we looked at, there is an imperative. Verse 7, let us love one another, 
For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. So we love one another because God is a source of love. And that should come up on the PowerPoint at some point. Yeah. That's right. God is the source of love. Love was a necessary part of God's nature from all eternity, even before there were any people to love. What was it about God that made love a necessary part of his nature from all eternity? John 17, 24 tells us this. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. God is love because the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is a relationship of love. It's this relational love that was not satisfied to simply share it as a unit, but instead this love gave birth to creation, to humanity. Genesis 1.27, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God made us image bearers, mirroring God's image as humans who have ability to reason, to create, emote, to feel, and who are ultimately created to relate to one another. So if, as image bearers, we have God as the source of our love, then we can love others as God loves, and in doing so, know God. And this knowing that's talked about in the text isn't simply intellectual here. It's a deep knowing. It's an experiential knowing. We can't know God or really love God unless we tap into God as the source of our love. For agape love to be experienced, our orientation has to be towards the God who loves us in everything we do and say. It's all about orientation. So we can love one another because God is the source, and we can love one another because God's the initiator. That should just pop up on the overhead, right? Verse 9 he showed or demonstrated his love among us. And verse 10, not that we love, but that he loved us. And verse 11, since God loved us, we ought to love. It's God who led the way. It's God who stepped out first. And we see this all through the grand narrative of the Bible. Time and time again, as this C.H. Dodd, this great 19th century wealth theologian reminds us, God is love. And the implication is, if he creates he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is an expression of his nature to love. He loves first and then longs for us to love him back. We can love one another because God is a source and initiator. And we can love one another because God demonstrated his generous love through Jesus. Verse 9 should pop up on the PowerPoint at some point. Sorry, they're not really in order, I think. That's right. And then verse 9 should pop up, I think. Yes! He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sons. Verse 14. The father sent his son to the savior of the world. Here's the initiator, the source sending. God is demonstrative in his love in both word and deed. The word became flesh. Firstly, note how John emphasizes that this demonstration of love through his son, Jesus, is for the world. It's a missional love that reaches every corner. It's not just for us, but it goes out. So his son is sent into the world that we might live through him. 
as an atoning sacrifice for our sins to be the Savior. All of them speak of this preferential costly love. The Savior rescues sacrificially with his own life. The Son becomes a sacrifice of love in place of making amends for our sin. But what does it mean that we might live through him? How does that demonstrate God's love? This knowing isn't simply intellectual here in the text. It's a deep knowing. We can't know God or really know God unless we tap into the source of who God is. I think I'm missing a page here. Hold on a sec. Yeah. Here we are. Yes, yeah, so we're asking, what does it mean that we might live through him? How does that demonstrate God's love? So there, there is this text in, um, John, in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, right, who came um, home to his father to be a slave and got treated instead like a king. And it's really interesting. It uses this word, Zoe. I am missing a page. Whoops. Hold on one second. Yes, that's, that's better. Okay, so the word, sorry about that, a little scrambled. That's why I have notes. Can you imagine what I'm like without notes? It's really scrambly. Okay, so what does it mean that we might live through him? It's being repeated a lot, isn't it? The word for to live is this amazing Greek word, zao, you know, to live, from zoe meaning life both in the physical and spiritual sense. But more essentially, it's life that's derived and always and only comes from and is sustained sustained by God's self-existent life. Here is verse 9. It means to enjoy real life, to experience real life, to experience God's gift of life. This is what Zoar is, okay? That's what real living is. When you know Jesus through him, you can know and experience Zao. God's gift of life. So this word comes up 141 times in the New Testament. And it's very interesting how it's used in the Gospels, especially by Jesus. Jesus often uses it to describe himself. And he uses it to describe how to find God's gift of life through love. It's really fascinating. We first hear it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew and Luke. Jesus uses zao to fend off Satan when he's tempted. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, real life, God's gift of life can't be found in things, but is sourced in by God. And later in Matthew 22, Mark 12, and repeated in Luke 20, when he's talking about marriage and the resurrection with the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the zao, the living right? It comes up again in Luke 10, in Luke 15, and John 4. All these are places where zao is used to do with relational love, relational wholeness. We don't have time to look up all these stories in detail, but here is a glimpse of how powerful this word to live, zao, comes up. Like I mentioned earlier, because I got my notes mixed up, Luke 10 is a story of the teacher who asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, we know the law. What does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love, love. 
Notice Jesus' answer in verse 28 of Luke 10. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will zao. If you love God, it will naturally mean you're filled with love for your neighbor. But this teacher wants to justify himself. So he asks Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? So then Jesus tells this story about being a good Samaritan. But it's not a story about being a good person by doing good deeds. I think that's sometimes how we've heard that text taught. It tells a story about the Samaritan, an outcast, considered by the Jews as an enemy. It's this man who loved in a costly way by giving all he had to love someone that loves in the story. And others had avoided this guy, you know, because it cost them time, it cost them energy. It would mean they'd have to do purification rites. But there's this guy who's supposedly the enemy who helps this man who's been beaten half to death. Left for dead, this man finds life, zao, through kindness, commitment, and sacrificial and costly love of a stranger. To find God's gift of life, zao, means loving the other, people who aren't like us, who are not easy to love, and it's going to cost us. This is what our text in 1 John is pushing at, 1 John 4. Then there's Luke 15, the story of the prodigal. We know this story. Kid runs away, squanders the money, comes back. He's coming back to be a slave, right? And his father instead makes him a king. This is what Luke 15, 32 says. This brother of yours was dead and is zao again. He was lost and is found. Or John 4, when Jesus has this vibrant conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, breaking so many taboos, a man talking alone to a woman, scandalous in those days, a man talking to a Samaritan woman, a foreigner, and asking for a drink, unheard of. He's going to get contaminated. That's what they thought. A man entrusting himself to a woman who has a scandalous story by revealing that he is not just the living water, but he is the Zao. He's the Messiah. She becomes the first evangelist, a foreigner, a woman, an outcast. This is upside down. This is Zao. And then the whole of John is full of Zao, as we would expect from John. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have about, combined, have about the same amount of Zao words as John has. We can love one another because God is the source. We can love one another because God is the initiator. And we can love one another because God is is the demonstrator of love. But not just any old love, agape love, self-giving, sacrificial, costly love, evidence in God the Father sending Jesus that we might zao through him. Live lives of costly love. (sighs) Love, love, love. Now we know where the emphasis is. It's all on God. It's on Jesus. But how do we live it out? Life through him. How do we live it out? It's easy for us to love people who are like us from similar backgrounds, similar interests. But what about about those who are other than us, who are difficult to love? How do we love and engage with the other? Some of these people are part of our churches or even part of our families right? You know, one of the ways we've tried to do this, and Lance mentioned it, is to have combined worship gatherings four times a year in this neighborhood. We've been doing this for about five years, 
And it grows in different ways. We join together and we worship together and we learn to be present to one another, engaging conversation, because this is how we love one another. When we first began, some of our guys just thought it was a Sunday off, right? Oh, I don't have to go because it's not my church thing. It's another thing. But we just, we kept encouraging, no, this is really important. It's really important to be together. And you know, when we first come together, it can be awkward. But the more we do it, the easier it gets. We recognize faces. We sit at each other's tables. And barriers of loving the body of Christ come down. And we begin, we begin to experience za'o. There is something unique that reflects the love of God and our witness to the world when we gather together, not just in our own community, but with those who are different from us. This is what verse 12 is talking about. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, even the difficult ones, even the awkward ones, even the ones we don't really like, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. For this God, who is love, and has loved, still loves. And today his love is seen through our love, especially as we love one another, but also as we reach out and love our world. The unseen God who revealed himself in his son now reveals himself in his people if and when they love one another. God's love is seen in our love because our love is his love given by the Holy Spirit, verse 13. God's love is seen in our love because our love is his love given by the Holy Spirit. And as we love one another in community this way, we announce Jesus to the world in how we love one another, how we talk about one another, and how we talk about the God who is Zao in our lives. The word here for to live in verse 12 that's mentioned isn't this word zao anymore. It's this word meno, which means to abide, to dwell, to be present to, to be continually present. It doesn't mean that when we begin to love God, that we, when we begin to love, God comes and dwells with us, right? That's how we often understand that verse. Is it up there? I don't know if I put it up there. Anyway, you know, verse 12. <laughs> Peter's looking it up good. It doesn't mean that when we begin to love, God somehow dwells with us. It's more accurate that our love of one another is that evidence of God's presence, his continual presence, his abiding presence, his indwelling. And somehow this is the way it works, kind of a bit upside down. Okay, full disclosure. Let me share with you what I was learning this week about love as I was trying to write this sermon. So my friend texts me as I finally get a quiet moment and I'm desperately trying to pray and get some reading done in preparation for this Sunday. And in the midst of this, I'm waiting for some call from a laptop guy because we had to send a, we got a laptop, had to send it back. And it was just like, I was on the phone several times that morning. She texts me and I'm like, oh no, this is going to mean something. This is going to be a need. And she texts me that a car won't start. And she thinks it needs jump-starting. And I'm thinking about what it might cost in terms of time. I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, oh, no, I should do but I don't want to. What if I need to call BCA? And what if I have to take it to the... If the car's really broken, the alternator's gone. I'm thinking all these things. How much is this going to take out of my day? What I should have done is just dropped everything... But I waited it out a bit because maybe somebody else would help. I'm busy, right? I've got important things to do, like preach on love on Sunday, right? 
But in the end, of course I go. And all the car needs is a jump start. It takes five minutes. And she's off to take her kids to swimming lessons. Oh, the irony of talking about Cossy Dove when I find it hard to be sacrificial myself, right? Or how about later on in the week, and I just get again to the office to sit down. This happens a lot, by the way. And I get a call from a guy from our congregation. Actually, it was Michael, who's here today. He's, he's come to pray for me as I'm preaching and getting my notes mixed up. Anyway, I get a call from Michael, and he says, the guy I needed to talk to, who was really angry the previous Sunday and really upset at church and said some pretty mean things, actually, to a bunch of us. Um, he's in the neighborhood, and I really need to talk to him about next Sunday. Once again, a bit quicker this time, not like mulling, thinking, oh, I've got this sermon to prepare. And I realize what matters is this guy. Okay, orientation's changing. Good, good, good. A gap he love again. And when I meet with him, it goes okay, but it's not the result I was hoping for. But as we're chatting, I realize that it's the longest conversation I've had with him. And he just needs some attention and time and care and to be encouraged actually to have a thankful heart. Right? From time to time, this is what we all need. So even though as old as I am, as long as I've known Jesus, and even in my role as Strathcona Vineyard, I am still learning this stuff. The most wonderful thing is that each time it costs to love others, especially people who are different from me, God helps me. He doesn't fail to teach me more about his love, his patience, how much I still need to be shaped, remembering he's the source, he's the initiator, he's the demonstrator, love with legs. We can't learn agape love just by listening to podcasts online. I like to do that. Swift can't be our only source. There's a number of reasons why I think as followers of Jesus, we have to be part of a worshiping community, but that's for another sermon. But what I do believe we're hearing here is that we have to stick with community. Sometimes as hard as it is, we have to learn to love, to learn zao through Jesus. And if we love one another the way God loves, then it's evidence that God is present in our community. And this announces to the world something new. Love, love, love. I'm not going to sing anymore. It's not easy, but all we need is love. Do, 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 do. Okay, maybe. All you need is love. Do, 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 do. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. Okay, let's just pray. Jesus, there's so many ways we could make this prescriptive. This is what we need to do. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us. You would speak to us about what it means to live in this costly way of loving. In community, in our church community, in our families. Because we want Zao life through you, Jesus. We want this effervescent, full life, the life that's a gift from you, God, that we can't find anywhere else. 
And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir us up and you'd begin to reveal to us maybe areas where we avoid people, um, where we feel too busy to reach out to someone we know is in need, where we put our priorities before others. Just begin to reveal the places where we need to reorient ourselves to you, the source, the initiator. And also show us the places where we have actually gone through hard things, where it's been difficult and awkward and we've persevered and we haven't run away, we haven't changed churches. And begin to just affirm us, God. We just thank you for your love. We thank you that you are love. Your very nature's love. And it's you who is our source. Just lead us, Holy Spirit, in the way of truth, in the way of sao, in the way of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Don, for reminding us of this costly and preferential love and uh, a really timely word what's going on in the world, particularly with our neighbors to the south, but for all of us as we struggle with violence and the hatred that lives in, in every human heart. And so have been reminded and challenged and called, and, and we come to this table now as a place of reorientation weekly. Remind us uh, of these words from Colossians. Speaking of Jesus, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so as the powers of uh, behind white supremacy rage, uh, we're reminded that Christ has emptied those powers and denounced racism and promised a future that God's kingdom is made up where every tribe, nation, tongue, every kind of person is a part of that. And so this table is a reminder of that, that those powers have been emptied and we denounce them again this week. And so we come to this table ourselves to be reconciled to God, knowing that we've been God's other. We have been, we've had enmity between us and God, and we come to be reconciled. And we also come to, to remind ourselves that uh, we are to work for a reconciliation in our world. And we come because we have to receive the body and the